Hello. Man, do I wish that we were sitting together, but so excited to be with you today and to talk to you a little bit about anxiety. I just want to start out with my own story of an anxious moment that stands out to me. So as a pastor and someone who gets to speak occasionally, um, I've always dealt with a fear of public speaking, a fear of being vulnerable on a stage or up front and talking to others, um, which you, as you can imagine is a really fun combination. So I always think back to one of my first experiences. I was 16 years old and my pastor had um, given me and my best friend the opportunity to preach to our little congregation. I'm from a little mountain town in the Sierra Nevadas in California. At this little four square church, my pastor gave me and my best friend this opportunity. He put microphones in our hands um, and let us go for it. And we had worked so hard on our presentation. We had practiced. And we got up, and my my best friend, Andrea, she went first. And she had planned about, oh, she was going to do about 10, 15 minutes of talking. And so I'm standing there watching her, and she gives it her all. She is swinging from the fence. this giving it her best, and she's done in about, oh, 30 seconds. <laughs> and she's staring at me. Her brown eyes look like a deer caught in the headlights, like, it's your turn now. And I was gripped, riddled with nerves and anxiety. The tape that we all have that comes in our, that plays in our minds, my tape of you're not enough, you're going to fail, Everyone's looking at you. You're not good enough. Playing in my head. It's so loud. It's reverberating. But I just go for it. And I start speaking. And I don't know what I'm saying. It's almost that out-of-body experience where you're looking at yourself. And I'm looking at my congregation. I see my pastor in the back. I see people disengaged. I see my four older siblings laughing. I see my mom looking concerned. And I froze. I froze. My anxiety gripped me. And then without even knowing what to do next, it was either run out of the room and go hide somewhere or just keep digging the hole bigger. <laughs> I called the congregation to an altar call. <laughs> I invited the congregation after another 30 seconds of another 16-year-old girl speaking at a million miles a minute to accept Jesus. You could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> Oh, my siblings were totally laughing at this point. My mom's look of concern had increased. My pastor's looking at me like, okay, kid, go for it. No one in the congregation is moving. It was the longest 30 seconds of my life. And then my dad, all six foot three of them, 
stood up in the middle of that little congregation and he just locked eyes with me. My dad, who'd been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years, lifted his hands (laughs) and he received Jesus all over again for me. But I will never forget the blanket of calm and peace that washed over me when my dad stood up and his eyes locked with mine and he had a smile from ear to ear. I could feel how proud he was of me, how much he supported me and how much he loved me in that moment. And I will never forget the sense of calm that just like a warm blanket just enveloped me and eased my anxiety. It just slowed the whole process down for me. My dad locking eyes with me is probably the only thing that kept me going. The only thing that kind of kept me going with, this was rough, but I can, I can do this. I feel like the Lord's given me something to say and I can say it. Remembering my dad locking eyes with me is kind of my centering place before I speak now. It's my centering place of I'm seen, I'm known, And I'm loved. And as we start this conversation with anxiety, maybe you're tuning in today because it's part of your story. Or maybe you're tuning in today because it's part of someone's story that you love. Maybe you're the one watching someone who is reeked with anxiety, riddled with anxiety, And it's robbed you or someone you love of too much of joy, of peace, of patience. As we talk about anxiety today, I just want you to close your eyes, settle in, unless you're driving, (laughs) settle into wherever you are. And just imagine your Heavenly Father's eyes locked with yours. And he sees you where you're at. He has a smile on his face from ear to ear. He's proud of you. And he's for you. Have that picture with you as we talk about anxiety. We all have fears. We all have worries. It's just part of life. The problem isn't having worries. The problem isn't having fears. Fears keep us alive. There's a place for healthy fears. There's a place for, uh, that's too close to the edge. I'm not going to go there. That saves our lives. The problem with worry and the problem with anxiety is that it doesn't help us. Now, fear, like I mentioned earlier, it has a place. It can save our lives at times. 
that healthy place of fear. But worry and anxiety, it does not serve us well. Anxiety is our attempt to calm our body down. If depression, that maybe is the sister to anxiety, if depression is trying to wake our body up, well, anxiety is our kind of our attempt and our feeble attempt at that to calm our body down. We've got this brain that is so intricate. It's so beautiful and holistic working together that man if how can anyone believe that outside of God's holy touch where our brains created we've got this left side of our brain where we think logically we organize thoughts into sentences we have sequence there's order there's the letter of the law how many of you are saying yep that's that's me I'm a left brainer Then we have this right side of the brain, and this is big picture. This is the spirit of the law. It experiences the emotions. It's perceiving the body language. It's perceiving um, the tone. It's all the nonverbal cues. It's, It's big picture. It's meaning and it's feeling. How many of you guys are raising your hand? That's me. I'm a right sider. I'm raising my hand with you. We've got this reptile part of our brain that's instinctual and it's split second. It's survival decisions. We've got our mammal side of our brain that leads us toward connection and relationship. We've got parts of our brain that's dealing with memories. We've got part of our brain that's dealing with ethical, moral decisions It's really beautiful and it's fascinating. And sometimes anxiety tries to function and and just hang out in one part of the brain. And so there's some really practical things, some really practical ways of talking in anxiety. We're not going to hang out here long, but it's important for where we're going to go. So I just want to talk a little bit about, a little bit, about the process that's going on in our mind, in our brain, when anxiety feels so big that it's going to take over. So we've got the lower part of our brain, the more primitive part. This is our basic functions, our breathing, our, our, think, our blinking. It's our innate reactions. It's fight. It's flight. Strong emotions. It's your anger and your fear. And we've got the upper part of our brain, this, this part of our brain that is, it's sophisticated, it's intricate, it's where we think, it's where we plan, it's where we do our imagining and our creativity, where our sound decisions are made, where we have control over our emotions, we have control over our decisions, over our body. It's the place that um, where we're self-aware. It's the place where we can see another person's, um, we can see their story, we can see them for who they are, and we have empathy. 
That's our upper part of our brain. And there's this disconnect or this experience that happens for us when our little part of our brain, this tiny little part of our brain, the amygdala, whose main job is to quickly process emotions and it's quickly to process um, dangerous signals in the environment that could be signals of fear. And when our amygdala, when it senses danger, it can send off warning signs, danger signs. It's telling you to stop. And it's gathering information from our experiences. It's gathering information from your story. It's gathering information and conditioning that you learned in your, in your home. When you learned how to function, how to behave in society, what's right, what's wrong, what your role is in this life. And when your amygdala senses danger, sometimes it can be too loud and too much. And it can throw obstacles in the way of, of figuring things out. And we can feel stuck with these thoughts where we can ruminate. We can ask uh, thoughtful questions at first and then we ask them again and then we are spiraling. We're going down that rabbit trail. If you deal with anxiety or, or if you have someone in your life that you've seen battle with anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. It's that being stuck. It's that paralysis. It's a hijack of your thoughts. It's a hijack of your brain. Now the amygdala, we all want it. We all need it. It does its job well in life and death matters. It just doesn't serve us well in everyday situations. It doesn't serve us well when we're just dealing with, with life matters. The good news is that our amygdala learns signals of dangers. It teaches us about fears from our past experiences. But it doesn't cement us there. We can grow, we can learn, we have new experiences that shape us, that form us, and there's hope. There's hope that things that have felt dangerous before, maybe we didn't have the tools in our belt to address them at the time. But at this time, at this place, if you're listening to this podcast, Maybe this is your invitation that there's freedom in that area. Maybe this is a moment of recognizing it doesn't have to be this way. When my mind feels like a battlefield and I feel stuck. Maybe this is your opportunity to know it doesn't have to be that way. One way to slow down anxiety is to slow the whole process down, is to notice what are my anxious thoughts? 
if my anxiety could speak, what is she crying out for? Anxiety is the byproduct of fear. What's the fear? What's the root that is crying out for help, that's crying out to be, to be comforted? When we can name our fears, when we can name our emotions, man, <laughs> then we can tame it. Then we can tame it. So the first thing I ask you to do with your anxiety or to lead or to help someone in your life with anxiety is just to notice. Notice what the thoughts are. See if you can tune into the feeling. What is the fear behind the anxiety? Is it shame? Is it feelings of inadequacy? Is it low self-regard? Are you feeling unsafe? Are you feeling alone? Once you can name that fear, name that feeling, Think about what you normally do when you feel this way. This is when we're kind of tapping in and we're engaging all, all sides of our brain. So we can name the feeling. We can name the fear. We can call it out for what it is. And now we're slowing it down and we're looking at the process. What do I normally do when I feel this way? When I'm feeling like I'm going to fail, when I'm feeling like I'm not enough, when I'm feeling shame, when I'm feeling unsafe, when I'm afraid of danger, what do I normally do? Where do I feel it in my body? Oftentimes our body is speaking to us clearer and louder than than we pay heed to than we pay attention to your stomach and knots are your shoulders tight do you feel it in your neck listen to your body and say what you normally do what are my anxious behaviors how am i trying to calm my nerves, how am I trying to calm my fear? What are the tools that I've been using that no longer serve me well? You're naming that fear. You're seeing those thoughts. Maybe naming that feeling. You're slowing down the process and you're engaging your mind. You're thinking about it. You're giving order to the chaos of anxiety. What do I normally do? What are the anxious behaviors 
that maybe I've done because they have made me feel safe, but they have not, in fact, created safety. They haven't served me well. They haven't helped me. What do I do? Next, when you can name that process, speak the truth. What is the truest thing about you? Pause for a moment. And oftentimes when someone asks you, what's the truest thing about you? Man, we look up to the left, we look to the right, like I don't even know. And if you're at the place right now where you feel that, I don't even know the truest thing about me. Let me just remind you that your start, your story starts in Genesis 1 when God created you in his image. Imago Dei in you. The truest thing about you is that God created you in his image and he looked, he looked at you, he sees you, he has eyes for you and what he says is, oh, it is good. Admiring the work of his hands, the truest thing about you that you can't earn, that you can't achieve, that you can't, you can't earn the love anymore. Nothing you can do can make them love you more. The truest thing about you is you have a heavenly father who has eyes for you and who loves you. And if you're, today if you hear those words and maybe you've heard them before and they don't stick with you, or it feels like you know in your head, but you don't know in your heart. My prayer for you is that you experience that love. Is that you reach out. If this doesn't feel like your truth yet, reach out. Keep talking about it. Dig your heels in and stand your holy ground. The truest thing about you is that you're made in the image of God. He loves you. He sees you and he's for you. And once you combat some of those anxious thoughts, some of those anxious feelings, that fear, that fear that drives the anxious thoughts, that fear that drives the anxious behavior, and you can name the process, this is what I do when I've got that feeling, and you speak the truth, when you work out that truth. Now is the time we get to start carving new neuro pathways. We get to choose what do I get to do differently? How do I get out of this chaos? And maybe it's the chaos of anxiety that that feels smothering and it's swirling all around you or the chaos of, of anxiety that only feels calmed with total control, a rigidity. Where's the freedom for you when you feel like your back is between a rock and a hard spot? What is that third option? Where is God leading you to a path of freedom? 
Anxiety will always maximize the problem. It'll make the problem seem bigger than it is. And anxiety will always minimize you. Let me say it again. Anxiety will always maximize the problem. Too big, too much. It'll make it bigger than it is. And anxiety will always minimize you. Not enough. You can't do it. You're going to fail. And these four steps, although they may feel clumsy at first, man, find your support network. Find your resources. Speak out. Freedom is available. Change can come. You're not stuck. And maybe this has been your story. It doesn't need to be your future. Anxiety blinds you from your options. I want you to know right now there are resources, there are books. If you're looking for a child, Sissy Goff's Braver, Stronger, Smarter is an excellent guide for girls to overcome worry and anxiety. The Whole Brain Child is a beautiful resource. If you need help slowing down the process, just to see the forest for the trees. Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton is a beautiful book, a great resource for those of us that want to calm the anxious ways down. To adapt some kind of rhythms and spiritual formations that help us slow the process down. If you walk away from anything from this breakout session, I want you to hear the truth about this lie that anxiety does tells us. Anxiety tells us the problem is bigger than it is. It maximizes the problem. And anxiety tells you that you're not enough. My friend, I'm here today to speak some truth to you. There are practical tools. There are resources to calm the battle in your mind. To stop the thoughts in their track and to put them on trial. You are more than your thoughts. You are more than your feelings. As we wrap this up, I just want to remind you. I want you to have that same picture that I have. When anxiety creeps up and I can feel it in my gut, I can feel it tensing my shoulders when my jaw is clenching and my mind is racing. I want to paint that picture again of that recentering of a father whose eyes are locked with his daughter. He's not looking at the failure. He's not looking at the mistakes. He's not looking at the situation. His eyes are just locked with yours. 
He's just concerned with you. Everything else falls away and he sees you. He sees your feelings. He sees your thoughts, your needs, your desires. His eyes are locked with you. And there's safety in that. There's more for you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Man, I hope and pray that I get to see you someday in person and that we get to collaborate together on some, on some level at some time. Peace be to you. Peace be to your mind. Peace to your body. Peace over your fears. Take care, my friend. <laughs>